open up the word that we might hear your holy voice. Thank you in your great wisdom that you have chosen to use even the folly of preaching uh, to speak to us. So Lord, that's why we're here this morning. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice. We want you to speak. So God, please uh, use me. Help me to be a good communicator of your word. Please help the congregation to be good listeners to your word. I pray this time would be used by you to bring glory to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so one of the better pieces of advice I've received in terms of having a plan is to like reverse engineer from like the end goal of that plan. Meaning as we put our plans together, whatever that plan may be, like start with the end in mind and then work backwards. And as you work backwards, take note of all like the pieces or components needed to get to the finished product or the, the end goal, uh, which hopefully for us keeps us like focused on the task at hand. Uh, hopefully by doing it also eliminates like maybe distractions that might take away from the end goal. And I think as mentioned, or as mentioned, this is a, a good piece of advice to start with the end of mind, to reverse engineer. I think this is helpful, especially for us as Christian people, especially if we're going to seek to follow the command of the scriptures of like learning to number our days so that we might have a heart of wisdom. Which brings us back to this text this morning, which is a text where the great prophet and priest Samuel is, in short, giving his like farewell address to the people of Israel, at least in terms of his public ministry. And in this text, Samuel is basically handing off the leadership of Bataan uh, to Saul, who is the recently appointed king. And as we work through this farewell address of Samuel, I think Samuel gives us some helpful components, helpful elements for us to desire to have in place as we think about our own lives, as we number our own days. Now, these traits that fill the days of Samuel, which we're going to look through, uh, a little more closely in just a bit, are important for all of us to see this morning, for all of us to seek and desire have in our own lives. But I do think this is particularly important for those of us who are in some type of leadership, or maybe desire to be in leadership, whether it's like more organizational in nature or even just like a relational uh, in nature of leadership, to see this model, to see this example of Samuel, to help us finish well as leaders, which on a side note, something we're going to see in our study uh, for Samuel, Saul, the new king, this is something he did not do. He did not finish well. And really, throughout the scriptures, throughout church history, far too many leaders end more like Saul than they do Samuel. In fact, I was reading an article this week where the author was looking at all the different leaders that have like a significant amount of information about them in the scriptures. And according to this author, only 30% finished well. Meaning 70% finished more like Saul than like Samuel. And this is humbly for me to think about. And I trust humbly for those of uh, others who are here who are in any type of leadership. Many just don't finish well by that. Uh, by the way, on that note, this is why it's so important for us as a congregation to be praying for leadership, uh, myself included, that by grace we might finish well. Okay. Now, before we work through this farewell address, let me take a little bit of extra time um, what we normally do to remind us where we left off in our study of 1 Samuel before taking a little bit longer break over the last few weeks. So as you may remember, if you've been with us in the study, the context of 1 Samuel comes right on the heels of the book of Judges, which details a long period in Israel's history where everyone is kind of like doing what's right in their own eyes. And they're following after their own heart, rather than following after uh, the heart of God. And because Israel is following after their own heart, rather than the heart of God, throughout the book of Judges, they're in this like ongoing state of misery, which is always what happens. 
when we follow our own heart rather than God's heart, we, we find ourselves in places of misery. Started for Samuel, we met a woman named Hannah, who was barren. Yet in answer to her prayer, she miraculously gave birth to a son, who she named Samuel. You may also remember, before Samuel was conceived, as Hannah prayed for a son to be born, she also promised that if the Lord would give her a son, she would dedicate that son back to the Lord through a Nazarite vow, which was a vow of dedication of unique service to God, where her son would serve at the temple all of his days. So you may remember, you've been in the study, or read the book in the past. After Samuel was born, at the right time, when he was actually still young, Hannah fulfilled this vow. She took Samuel to the temple, where he'd be mentored by a priest named Eli. In our study for Samuel, we learned that Eli, this high priest, was actually a pretty complicated guy, which is true of all of us, right? We're all at least a little bit complicated. In the person of Eli, we read some admirable traits about him. He seemed to be pretty caring. Uh, he seemed to actually be a praying man. Uh, he seemed to be, like, humble uh, before the will of God. However, at the same time, Eli seemed to be, like, pretty aloof as a dad, uh, disengaged from his kid's life, he also actually seemed to be kind of lackadaisical as a priest, at least in terms of the worship of God at the temple. Because Eli was aloof as a dad, because he was lackadaisical with the worship of God at the temple, we read that he passively sat back and did nothing when his sons, who were also priests, basically made a complete mockery of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the worship of God at the temple. You may remember this, how the, the sons of Eli used the Old Testament sacrifice almost like as a power play to get more and more what they wanted, where they would get kind of fat on the uh, sacrifices. And because of that, First Samuel actually labeled these sons as worthless sons. So in our study in the past, we read how as Eli passively sat back, as the worthless sons actively abused their leadership role, like none of them finished well. And God brought judgment on Eli and his sons, a judgment that would cost them their lives. However, while the judgment of God was falling on Eli and his sons, God's grace was still present, and it was present on Samuel. And the grace of God was present in ways that he was raising Samuel up to be the new leader of God's people. As the Lord grew Samuel in wisdom and favor and stature among the people. In our study, as God's hand was on Samuel, read how the Lord used him to be the great prophet and priest who brought forth the word of God to the land. However, as you may remember, even though God was at work through Samuel, even though the people of God even acknowledged God's work through Samuel, through the preaching of Samuel, God's people decided they actually wanted to go their own way. They wanted to follow their own heart. So they began to make sinful assumptions upon the Lord, where they tried to twist and manipulate God and his word to suit their own passions, to test God into giving them that which they wanted, which is specifically a battle they wanted to fight against their enemies the Philistines, which is a battle that ended up becoming multiple battles, battles that actually resulted in the people of God losing the Ark of God to the Philistines, which was uh, representations of God's presence with his people. However, in our study, despite God's people sinfully assuming upon their God, despite them losing the Ark of God, and for Samuel, God continued to be gracious towards them. And not only did the Lord bring the Ark back into the land, he fought for his people, he gave them victory over their enemies, and he restored their, uh, his people back to himself, which he did through basically a revival led by Samuel in the preached word. And through this, God graciously brought peace throughout the land. However, in step with the pattern of the book of Judges, a cycle continued. 
And God's people, once again, started to drift from him yet again. And once again, they rejected God and his rule over them. But this time what they did was they wanted a king. They wanted to have a king over them so they could be like all other uh, nations in the area. Right? They didn't want to be holy. They didn't want to be distinct. They didn't want God to be their leader. Rather, they wanted to conform to the world. They wanted a king like everyone else. So they demanded that God give them a king after their own heart. And they made this demand, even though Samuel warned them that if given over to their own heart's desires, things would not go well for them. This new king, in the end, would lead them to misery. However, in our study, God's people didn't listen to Samuel. They didn't heed to his warning. They kept their demands in place. God eventually then gave them over to the heart's desire, and Saul was appointed to be their king, both politically and religiously. Now, as mentioned, Saul does not finish well, which we'll see in the weeks to come. He didn't finish well as an individual or as a leader. Rather, because of sinful decisions that he kept planting his own heart, his days ended in disgrace and in tragedy. But what we did read, he actually did start out pretty well. In fact, at the beginning, Saul was even used by God to bless his people to the point that God even used Saul to restore the kingdom. And this is actually where we left off several weeks back. God used Saul to rally Israel to come together as one and defeat the Ammonites and their wicked king, Nahash. As mentioned, this is where we left off in our study. And as this happens, Samuel begins to recognize that his time as a leader of God's people is now like drawing to an end. In our text, he's realizing that his voice is not the one that the people were going to follow going forward. So for Samuel, rather than fighting it, rather than trying to hold on to his power, rather than trying to make demands that people follow him when clearly they wanted to go a different direction, which we see in our text today, Samuel humbly accepts where things are at. And he humbly understood that things were coming to an end for him and his leadership. It was time for him to pass off the baton which had to be incredibly hard for him. I mean, think about it. His entire life was basically him being their leader. And as he's handing off Baton, like he has concerns about Saul here. So in this scene, this is a huge step of faith for him. So Samuel having to trust in the Lord in a very real way. Okay, so that with a very long review, would you look back with me, starting at verse 1. So look back here, it's hard to know if Israel was still in Gilgal, which is where they left off last chapter, or if they're somewhere else. It's hard to know how much time has passed, maybe no time has passed since God renewed, uh, renewed the kingdom. Uh, it's hard to know, but either way, as mentioned, Samuel is recognizing and accepting what's happening to him, his role as a leader. As mentioned, he understands his time is up. So rather than fighting it, rather than pretending it wasn't happening, we see that Samuel stands up before the people of Israel to basically say goodbye, at least in terms of his uh, upfront leadership. And in this speech, he, we see there's a few different parts to it. So in verses 1 through 5, we see that Samuel is now giving an account of his life, an account of his public service. In verses 1 through 5, we take your eyes there. In a sense, Samuel is like putting himself on trial before Israel. So in verse 1, we read that Samuel testified before Israel how he obeyed their voice, how he obeyed what they asked him to do in chapter 8 and the desire they had for a king. As Samuel anointed Saul to be the king, to walk before them. But now in verse 2, as, Sam, or as Saul walked before Israel, Samuel testified the rally that he could not walk with them anymore in this role. 
And he could not walk with them because now he is old and he is gray. He didn't have the energy that he once had to lead. Uh, he couldn't do for them what they needed for him to do. Uh, he was understanding this is not like a lifetime appointment for him to do, uh, even though he was not capable of doing it any, anymore. So not only Samuel admit and accept the time is up, he also acknowledges that his sons are now not with, or with them, so there's no family heir to pass it on. He keeps saying he's being really honest here. He's being honest with himself, he's being honest with the situation, and he's being honest before the court of Israel. And Samuel, at the end here, right, he's trying to not hold on to something that was not for him to hold on. Like he's, he's letting go. And he's honest before the court. Then in verse 2. As he's honest before the court, we see that he asked the court to be honest back to him. And he asked the people to recognize, honestly, how he walked with them. How he walked with them for a long time, from his youth to that very day which was not always a smooth and easy walk for Samuel. You know, kind of mentioned, kind of fly by in review. There's a bit of a cycle throughout the lifetime of Samuel, where God's people are for a little while like walking in faithfulness, but then many other times they're walking in disobedience. That had to take a toll on Samuel. Even backing up to the start of his ministry to go through all the things surrounding Eli, who was his mentor, and his worthless sons. Can you imagine how hard that had to be for Samuel? Uh, they think even further, like he went through wars. He went through losing of the ark. He, he watched the people make one bad decision after another. In Samuel's leadership, a lot has happened. It had to take a lot out of him. And just think the temptation that could have come with all of those challenges. Like, he would have been challenged like, to bend or abuse his leadership. You know, possibly justify ways to like, self-promote or to lord over Israel. However, in verse 3, if you want to take your eyes there, Samuel told the court, said, here I am. Here I am before the Lord, before the newly appointed king. Here I am. And can you testify against me? Can any of you say, can any of you testify that I abused my leadership role to manipulate things to get the way I wanted? In the text, after all, I, I took none of your oxen. I didn't take anyone's donkeys. I didn't defraud others. I didn't sinfully oppress others. I didn't take a bribe without favors by turning a blind eye to the misdeeds of others. And if someone was able to come forward and say otherwise, Samuel says, hey, stand up before everyone. Stand up right here and there, and I actually will restore you if you think I sinfully took something that didn't belong uh, to me. So we're going to come back to this more in just a bit. But as he's testifying here, as he's giving this farewell address, he's saying, hey, my integrity is intact. My integrity is intact, even though I led for years and years and years. And by the way, just the start of verse 3, you see that here I am? This does seem to be a little bit of a callback to chapter 3. So remember the story how God kept coming to Samuel when Samuel was asleep, when he was a young boy? And Samuel thought it was like Eli the priest. So every time God came to Samuel... Samuel responded, here I am, thinking it was Eli, here I am. Before eventually the story, Samuel understood it was actually the Lord calling him. So Samuel finally responds, here I am to the Lord. So it does seem like our text today is this is like this here I am, this is like bookending the story of his leadership. Keep going, verse 4. As Samuel made the testimony for the people, as he invited the people to examine his life, the integrity of it, we see that they, they agreed with them. They said what he said was true. 
yeah, you, you didn't defraud. You didn't oppress. You, you didn't simply take anything from any man's hand. Samuel, we agree. Like, you're above reproach. According to Israel, yes, Samuel, in these many years of being our leader, through all the ups and downs, through all the challenges, we agree, you were faithful, you kept your integrity, you stayed above reproach, you didn't abuse your power, you were honest, you were forthright, you were transparent as a leader. Through all the ups and downs, you stayed true to the Lord and his word, and you served us well. Verse 5, as Samuel heard the people agree with him, you see him respond to them, okay, if you agree with me, but as the Lord is our witness with the king right before us, if you agree that what I said is true, and there's nothing in my hand that I've taken from you, please give your testimony before the court and say that you do agree. Which in text we see that they did. So in this farewell address, as Samuel puts himself before the court, right, they come to the agreement, all of them. Samuel served them well. Keep going. After getting everyone on the same page of agreement, verse 6, we see a little bit of transition to the second part of the farewell address, which are verses 6 through 19, where Samuel did what preachers do, at least what they're supposed to do, and he gives the people an exposition of the scriptures. And he preaches to them by now putting God's people before the court, and specifically bringing charges against them as it relates to the, the cyclical nature of God's people getting themselves back, uh, off track time and time again with their walk with God. Now, because of time, unfortunately, we can't walk through all the details surrounding the exposition of Samuel here. So let me just kind of let you, invite you to run your eyes just through uh, verses 6 through 19. So you see Samuel, as he preached his sermon, you see in verse 7 that he's, like, he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them to learn from their past mistakes with hopes that they would learn from the exposition of the scripture and that that would like, spur them on to faithfulness. So you take your eyes through. We see in the sermon he pointed them back to Moses and Aaron and the story of the Exodus, which details how God faithfully brought his people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt so God's people might dwell with him. However, in verse 9 of this exposition, Salmon reminded his listeners that despite the work of God in the Exodus, the people forgot their Lord, their God, and because of that, they were judged for it. And they're sent back into captivity for different enemies who fought against them. Only for God's people to cry out again to the Lord in verse 10, where the people confessed their sins to the Lord, where yet again in verse 11, God relieved his people out of bondage and into safety, which he did through Barak and Japheth, which are names found in Judges, as well as Samuel himself, which we read about in the previous chapters. So in this exposition, Samuel reminded the people of all the cycles that they kept putting themselves in, Cycles of their faithlessness and of God's faithfulness. And he preached this sermon to them. He points this into a perfect application of what just has happened in the previous chapter. Where in verse 12, God had yet faithfully again delivered them, this time from Nash, the king of the Amorites. So in the sermon, Israel, look, see how once again God was faithful. How once again he has brought about peace. And as you see God and the peace he has given to you, also listen to yourselves. Listen and hear that once again, you're making these promises that this time you're going to follow him. Promises just like the people in Exodus did. Promises just like the people in the book of Judges did. Listen, hear, 
how you're saying among yourselves some pretty big, bold things. Listen and hear how you're declaring among yourselves. Sure, like, yeah, we have King Saul now, but the one that we truly want to rule over us is the Lord our God. Like, he's king. So Israel, as I stand before you, will this time be different? Will you be faithful? Or will this time simply be the next time in the cycle? Samuel, to Israel, as I come to the end of my time as your upfront leader, let me plead with you. Don't fall back in the same sinful patterns that the Lord delivered you from. Rather, hear the warning of the scriptures. And this time, be faithful to the promises you're making before the Lord. Be faithful. Let your your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't make empty promises this time. Verse 13. Israel, as you behold, King Saul, the one you asked for, the one who the Lord gave to you, this time, fear the Lord. This time, serve the Lord. This time, obey his voice. This time, do not rebel against the Lord and his good commandments. This time, be holy, distinct. This time, keep your integrity intact. In Israel, in our text, if you do so, King Saul, if you lead them to do so, at the end of verse 13 or 14, it will be well for you. God's blessings, his favor will be there. You will not be met with misery. Rather, you'll be filled and met with God's joy. Israel, as it comes to the close of my public ministry, as I preach perhaps my last sermon in this type of context, Let me plead with you to understand. It is good for you to follow the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. However, Israel, verse 15. Let me remind you that before the courtroom of God, if this proves to simply be the next cycle, or in time this proves to be a time just like all the other stories that we see in the scriptures, abusing and taking God's grace and kindness for granted, rejecting or neglecting God's word, rebelling against his good commandments, making but breaking promises. Israel, if this proves to be true of this time here in our text, understand, you will provoke the Lord, and the Lord himself will put his mighty hand against you and against King Saul, and you will put yourselves in the back into the very tragic, miserable place that the Lord just delivered you from. It's in this text, yes, Samuel's an old man, right, old and gray, but he's like spitting fire here. Like, he's not holding back. He's telling God's people the hard truth they needed to hear. In this text, as he starts to finish the exposition of Scripture, to further prove his point, we see him tell Israel to, therefore Israel, Stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Which, by the way, this is actually similar language to what Moses used as he led God's people through the Red Sea. They just got done, like, bickering, complaining towards the Lord. In the text, Israel, stand still. And you see that field over there of wheat? Right? You can see, like, like today, right? It's the day of harvest, which in the context of the seasonal calendar, this is an incredibly dry season. In the text, Israel, look, look over there. 
stand still and watch. And I'm gonna actually going to call upon the Lord. And he's going to actually do a mighty work in your sight by sending thunder and rain. And this actually not only been a miracle in terms of a great storm coming in a dry season, but this storm falling on the crops during harvest, this is, this is a sign of God's judgment on his people, specifically for their actions in asking for a king in chapter 8. It's in the text. After Samuel thundered the word in the sermon, the Lord brought thunder and judgment through the prayer of Samuel. In the text, through the judgment of God, Samuel would let the people know that as they saw the mighty hand of God cover the white field, this was actually going to cut to their heart. And they were going to see and understand how wicked they have been in the sight of God, specifically concerning the demands to have a king over them. So verse 18, front to your eyes there. After Samuel finished spitting fire in the sermon, we see him call upon the Lord in prayer. And God heard the prayer of the righteous man, and the Lord moved by indeed sending judgment through thunder and rain. And as the mighty hand of God went forward, it grabbed the heart of the people. So our text tells us, they stood before the Lord and the great prophet and priest Samuel, doing so with great fear. And as the people stood before the Lord and Samuel with great fear, we see that they spoke to Samuel in verse 18, where they now ask him to continue to pray. But this time, Samuel, please pray for us. Like They're not pleading with him. In the text, Samuel, please pray for us. Pray that your servants... Pray for your servants and to the Lord. Pray for us because we see that indeed we have sinned. We have sinned greatly. Please pray that the Lord would not strike us down because how we rejected him as our king because we desired a king after our own heart. This text, this is, this is brokenness. This is repentance here by God's people. And notice in the scene what they're not doing. You know, as they see the thunder and the rain, they see the judgment of God, notice they're not, like, justifying any actions. Notice they're not, like, blame-shifting, playing some type of victim card. Notice they're not trying to, like, rationalize or explain away any of their sin. Notice they're not taking God's grace and kindness for granted. Instead, notice they're broken. They're gripped by the fear of the Lord. They're actively confessing their sin. Like they don't want to fall back into the same pattern. So in our text, as all this is happening, we come to the third section of the parable speech, which is verses 20 through 25. In this section here, we see Samuel not only give some summary statements to leave them with, we also see Samuel like change some of the tone of his words with them. So as the people are broken by their sin, as they're asking for prayer, we see Samuel go from like spitting fire like giving words of, of great comfort. Like he's, he's trying to restore them with the spirit of gentleness, which, which is a great model for us to see here. So when hearts are hard, often the words that need to be spoken are hard words. But when soft, hearts are soft, what's needed is actually soft words to build people back up. So in this text, as Samuel spoke soft words in verse 20, we see him tell them, Israel, don't be afraid. Yes, you, you did evil, but don't hide from God. Don't turn from God. Don't sit in guilt and shame. Rather, Israel, turn to God 
turn to him and receive his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And as you turn to him, move forward. Move forward and now serve the Lord with all of your heart. Friends, that's actually what God's grace and mercy does to us. It doesn't like keep us in like guilt and shame. But God's grace and his mercy, it picks us back up. It changes us so we can move forward. This is what Sam was encouraging them with here in these soft words. As he's doing that, he's also reminding them to turn aside from all the empty things that can't profit or deliver. Rather, learn, see, understand that which is empty. Stop planting empty things in your days that are numbered. Israel, turn back to the Lord and turn back by understanding verse 22 of this text. Turn back and understand to the Lord. He's not going to forsake his people. He will not do that. He will not forsake his people. And he won't do it because of anything like we may do. But in our text, God will not forsake his people. Why? For his great namesake. He won't forsake his people. Why? Because it pleased the Lord to make you his people, which is such a comfort to us. Like our standing before the Lord in the end is not dependent upon you and me. It's dependent upon the Lord himself. It's grounded in God's faithfulness to himself, to his word, to his desires. So yes, we want to. We need to be faithful. But in the end, what secures a relationship with the Lord is that he's the one who's faithful. Right? Faithful to himself. Faithful to the good promises that he's made to us. Amen. This is an incredible comfort. Right? God loves us. Why? Because he's chosen to love us. Because it pleases himself to love us. Keep going, verse 23. After spitting words of fire and the words of comfort to God's people, we see Samuel turn back uh, towards himself and the commitment now he's going to make for God's people going forward. We see in this passage, moreover, people of God, even though my role is changing here, even though it's time for me to step back in the leadership role that I've been serving for a very long time, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, which is a convicting thought, like to sin, not to pray. And moreover, Israel, not only continue to pray for you, as opportunity comes in my way, no doubt, yes, I will continue to instruct you in that which is good and that which is right. Even though he's stepping down from his public ministry, from his formal leadership role, like he's not like retiring and like moving to Punta Gorda to like collect seashells. <laughs> as long as the Lord was giving him breath, Samuel is going to finish his days by continuing to pray, by continuing to proclaim God's good word and grace and truth, which is something we'll see in the weeks ahead. Like Samuel still, even though he is stepping back here, he's still very much active and involved in ministry. Finally, this morning our text ends, this farewell speech ends. One last time, Samuel turning back, his focus is people. We give him a few summary words. Israel, as I come to the end, only fear the Lord and, and faithfully serve the Lord with all of your heart. And as you fear the Lord, as you serve the Lord, do so by continuing to consider the great things he has done for you. Amen. Keep going back to the evidences of his grace and how kind and gracious and merciful he has been. Keep doing that. But Israel, let me warn you, if you continue to act wickedly, if you take the Lord, his word, his power for granted, if you continue to fall into the trap of following your own heart rather than his good heart, if you love your sin more than you love the Lord, 
you, your new king, they will be swept away in judgment. With that, the address ends. And Samuel steps back from his leadership role, from his formal public ministry. What an incredible way to go out. Feel the faithfulness towards the Lord and his people. Now, as mentioned at the start, I think this example here is a great example for us to see. As we seek to number our own days in ways that hopefully we're planting like faithful seeds in our life throughout our life, so that by the time we get to the end of our days, whether it be a days as a leader or just days on the earth, by grace, we too might faithfully go out. So close our time here. I just want to give you several thoughts in terms of seeds that we see Samuel plant in his life and his testimony's life that hopefully like we're seeking to plant in our life as well. These, these are seeds that must be present if we're like going to like reverse engineer life, having the end goal of, of faithfulness. So first, plant the seed of humility. Simply just, just be humble. Amen. Particularly, be humble in understanding that for all of us, one day the bell will toll. One day, we all will draw our final breath. We, we all have to be humble that one day, listen, listen, one day, we all are going to return to the dust, all of us. For those of us who are in leadership or desire to be in leadership, there's no such thing for any of us of like a never-ending appointment to whatever role that we're in. One day, like you will, I will lead no, lead no more. Like maybe death. Maybe because like our capabilities or our capacities won't allow for it, which seemed to be true of Samuel. If we keep trying to lead when we're not capable, they were just actually hurting others we're seeking to lead. Maybe we won't be in leadership because maybe those we're seeking to lead are just looking for a new voice, a new leader. So for all in leadership, just be humble. Understand that at one point we will be handing off the leadership baton. And the harder we try to hold on to that baton, which was certainly true of King Saul, the more likely we end up like Saul in tragedy rather than like Samuel in humility. This morning for all of us. If we're going to number our days, we just need to be humble and humbly understand that, yes, our days actually are numbered. Plant that seed. Second, plant the seed of integrity. Just, just simply be a man, a woman of integrity. So back to it, Samuel put himself before the court. What was his defense before the court? His integrity. His integrity was not questioned by anyone. I just keep saying it. He didn't take anything that didn't belong to him. He didn't falsify things just to make himself look a little better. He didn't lord over those in his care. He didn't turn an eye to like backroom deals. He didn't present himself in public in a very different manner than who he was actually in private. His integrity was intact. And because of that, I bet he slept well at night. Nothing to hide, nothing to cover up. Church, if we're going to be anything as a church, let's be men and women of integrity. So we're striving to be the people we, people see us in public or actually the same people who we are in private. Plant those seeds deep into your heart. Third, if we're going to finish well, we need to know our Bibles. And know them in ways that we are both hearing and heeding to the warnings found in it. For Samuel, in his exposition of the scripture, he proved he knew his Bible. And not only knew it, like he stood in fear before it. That's far different from the cycle of the people of Israel. The cycle they kept putting themselves back in. 
Either they didn't know their Bible, which is one of the reasons why they kept falling back into the same old traps time and time again, or they knew it, but they didn't stand in fear of it. They didn't heed to its warnings. Friends, if we want to finish well, we need to know the word. We need to plant it deep into our hearts, understanding the truth of it, understanding the blessings of obeying it, the tragedy that comes when we reject it. And by the way, on that note, whether it be me or whoever else might fill this pulpit, demand that the preacher exposits the word. Don't ever settle for like cute, heartwarming stories or like simple little tidbits for life. Like demand that the word is opened and exposited from this pulpit always. Fourth, if we're going to finish well, we need to be mindful of others, specifically the needs of others. You know, if we're going to like faithfully number of days, we can't be self-centered, making everything about us. When we do that, listen, that will lead you to misery. Rather, if we're going to number our days with faithfulness, we need to be seeking to pour out our lives for the glory of God by caring for others and their needs, counting others more significant than self. Once again, this is particularly true for those of us who are in leadership. In text, Samuel, he's caring for others all the way to the end here. He's doing so with great mindfulness. At first, he's mindful as to know and understand what they needed was a hard word. But then, as he saw their brokenness, Samuel, now he's mindful of us to know that they now needed a gracious word. If we're going to care for others, right, we can't always be spitting fire. If we're going to care for others, we also can't always be like soft with our words. We, we need to be mindful. We need to care for people in ways that they needed to be cared for. It's probably a real easy tool when it comes to mindfulness. Mindfulness. Just like ask yourself before you meet with other people. You know, what does this person need from me? Or how can I best love this person? How can I best show care to this person? Be, be mindful of how you care for others. Fifth, if we're going to end well, we must weed out empty things from our lives. So in our small group this week, we talked a little bit about like some obvious things that are empty. Anything sinful obviously is empty. Uh, we live in a world that a lot of time wasters. I mean, think about how much time we're like, constantly scrolling through like social media or something like that. It's just empty. Or think about how much time we like obsess over things that really don't matter. Things are empty. Or like completely self-centered. Obviously, that's empty. In our society, the fear of missing out or like being jealous is such an empty waste of time, of energy and emotion. You know, I think each of us, if we took like five minutes, asked the Lord to search our hearts. We can probably come with like a list of like obvious things that are in our own lives that are just empty. Things we need to cut out. But we also talked in our small group this week, there's less, less obvious things that also can be empty. Less obvious things that in themselves can maybe even be good things that we've like twisted around in such a way that these good things have became empty idols in our hearts. Maybe like how you like view your family or our community or our friends or our jobs or hobbies how we start to like obsess over them in ways that they become like more important to us than the Lord. Or even coming to church, like this could be an empty time if we're not here to seek to worship the Lord. Like we can even use this time as like a self-righteous means to worship ourselves. And we'll get to more of this in the life of Saul. But so many of his days were filled with empty things that in the end led to tragic results. Friends, for all of us, we need to cut out empty things. 
We can't have empty things number the days of our lives. And by the way, if you need a little further help with discerning what might be empty of life, in the end of your life, when you meet Jesus, which, which we all will, he promises he will come back to judge the living and the dead. And all the moments that make up our life will be judged by him. And they'll be judged either by faithfully done for him and his glory, but other moments, they're going to be like burned up in fire. They're empty. They're going to burn like fire, like, like wood and hay and stubble do in the fire. Friends, cut out the empty things that will burn up. One more. If we're going to end well, this is most importantly, we must trust in Jesus. Amen. That's the most important seed. We must plant deep in our hearts to trust in Jesus, who is the one true leader, who is perfect in his humility, perfect in his integrity, the one who never did anything empty, the one who has always cared perfectly for his people, who has cared for his people in such a way that he even willingly laid down his life, where he died on the cross to take on the judgment of our sin, where the mighty hand of God fell on Jesus in our place, where the Lord Jesus bore the judgment of even our most wicked and vile sins, so that through Jesus, through his shed blood, we would be forgiven and not have to worry about being swept away into the eternal judgment that is to come. And friends, we know that not only did Jesus die in our place, we know on the third day he rose again from the dead where he fulfilled the scriptures to prove that without a shadow of a doubt that through Jesus, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. To prove that through his death and resurrection that Jesus is the one leader who will never ever say goodbye or farewell. So friends, whether you're a leader or not, trust in Jesus all of your days. Village Church, may we make our lives always about him, about his glory, trusting that in his kindness, in his promises, that whenever our days come to an end, whenever that may be, like he's going to come back for us. And he's going to bring us into his eternal kingdom that will have no end. And it's going to be sweet. This morning, please, let me plead with us all to simply trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, but far too often it is so hard for us to do so. So I do pray that you forgive us in the many cycles of our own life where we make promises only to break them, God, please forgive us of all of our sins, the wicked sins that we continue to commit before you. God, please weed out empty things in our lives. And oh Lord, I do pray that you bury your word deep in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. God, may this church be filled with integrity. Lord, I do pray that you help us to number our days, that we might have a heart of wisdom. 
so at the end of our days, whenever they may be, that by your grace we might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.